Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. I'm Monica, and I'm your host. Safe Recovery was created originally to, you know, designed to address predatory behavior in AA meetings. Tonight, we have a really, really special guest. We have with us Tom Catton from Hawaii, who has written a book, The Mindful Addict. Tom has been in long-term recovery for... It's 39 years, but I think it's 40 now, isn't it? His story appears in 12-step fellowship text with more than 7 million copies in circulation around the world. Tom has been invited to speak in the U.S. internationally and several times a year at other 12-step conventions and in front of audiences ranging from 10 to 500 to 10,000. He has been taking 12-step meetings into the prison system since 84. He has been active in service. Why, this is a long, this is a long bio here, Tom. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of the Buddhist stuff. Um, Tom is on the advisory board of the Buddhist Recovery Network and is also trained in Tibetan singing bowl therapy. Ooh, I'd like to learn that. He leads a Buddhist recovery meditation group that meets twice a month in Hawaii. So I'd like you to join me now for a discussion with my dear friend and Tom, who I met 36 years ago on the beach in Kailua. I see that he is in here. and. Uh. Hello, Tom. You're on the air? Hi. Can you hear Hi. me? Hi. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Thank you, Monica. How you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. Good. What a great connection we have. That is beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like you're just around the corner compared to even when we talked earlier, doesn't it? Yeah, this is great. So... At first, I didn't see the fo- I didn't Hawaii? see the phone number at first, and I was going, Monica, there's no phone number. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we are live. We're live, and what's great about this is that whoever, oh, you know what I need to do is I need to set up a chat too. Let's see, start chat, and I'll click that button uh, while we're talking. So, uh, you know, I really, really loved this book. Um, you know, and I wasn't sure as I kept saying to myself, "Wow, is this book so wonderful?" Because I I know Tom, and yet there were things in the book that, as well as I knew you, you know, that I didn't know um, about your story. But there was, you know, like a lot of books, I actually had to stop myself from reading it too fast. I wanted to savor it. I'd go in my yeah. backyard and uh, start to read it, and I think, "Oh, I'm just going to read one chapter," you know, and just. It's a very different experience uh, than reading a lot of other self-help books I had. Um, do you want to tell us why the book, or you know, where it came about? Because I know you've not, you know, this is your first book. Right. Well, anyway, thank you for uh, for that, and you've been a great support, and 
I really appreciate that. I'm. It, it's kind of a catch-22. I'm probably, I would hope, my own best fan, and yet mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not sure if the book is any good. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just put it out there. But I must say that uh, the response from across the, the globe has been very, very beautiful, and I and I just got I have to thank everyone that's contacted me mm-hmm. from so many different countries all over the U.S. I mean Russia, South Africa, Sweden, the Netherlands, Iran, India, Australia. You know, it's just been unbelievable. When I have doubt about really? what's going on, and then I, you know, get another message from somebody that's just thanking me. I just go, I go thank you. I, I thank the universe. And, and really you ask what brought this about. I guess, as you know, you read the book, and, and I really talk a lot about guidance. Um, and, and just the book is all about the, the practice of meditation, listening and following our heart, and being in service. That's the underlying message, I think, throughout the book. And... Not to be too airy-fairy, but I went to a psychic very early on in recovery um, and probably got into kind of a psychic addiction at that time where I you know, right. almost had to go to a psychic to even go to the bathroom to see if it was time to, you know, it was just, I got a little out there. But uh, I was told like early on by many different psychics and by uh, somebody that did my chart that I was going to write a book. And I, you know, I hadn't mm. even finished high school, so I'm going, hey, you're kind of not tuned in here. And and uh, that's always kind of been, and then my story got picked to be in the back of one of the recovery books, you know, just a few pages of an identification story, how the how the recovery books have personal stories in them. Right. And so I always just kind of thought, well, that's it. I, I, I'm in a book. And mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of just did that. But ah, through the years, that would always come up about writing a book. And it, it kept on peeking at me, you know, in, when I was in meditation. And I would just go, oh, my God, how can anybody write a book? How do you even come up with a chapter name? or a, You know, I just didn't get it. And... One day it just happened uh, around 2007, and it just came through so strong. And I didn't tell anybody, but it was just kept being there. And I finally told my wife. Mm-hmm. And once I let it out, I had to do it. So okay. that's, I mean, yeah. basically, I just sat down and it just started pouring out of me. Wow. Wow. I never had any writer's block during the whole process. I had to learn to write. You know, you must know that what anybody picks up is not the first draft. <laughs> right, right. And I know that because I feel like I have one in me and I've started to write it. You know, you and I talked, and I, uh, but I know that I'm a songwriter but not a writer like this, and I was so inspired. Um, and I read some of the early stuff you sent me a couple of years, right, before the book was right. finished. And you really did... Uh, Transform. Did you ever take any classes as, as once you said it to be? Like, did you say, okay, did you take any class at all? No, and and everybody suggested to join a book club, a writers club, you know. And I, I got to tell you, Monica, I didn't finish high school, and uh, every once in a while, a reoccurring bad dream for me 
is I'm in a classroom, I have no idea what the teacher is talking about, and I don't know what we're doing in the class. So I have this, I, I, could, I just said I can't go to a organized class uh, with a group of people and be put on the spot. So I started reading about writing, and, uh, and I sent some stuff to a good friend of mine who's got his master's in writing and actually has two books. He's in recovery and he has two books published. And, you know, I got back and what he says, Tom, you can't just tell. you got to show, too. And so I got what that meant. you got to bring the reader in. Yeah, and yeah. Like that's what the I, descriptions yeah. of, you know, when you're standing um, – uh, well, even this part here, the miracle Celeste was now about two months old. I was a full-blown addict and quite a far cry from the fatherly Ozzie Nelson on the popular 1950s TV show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Um, you know, the descriptions, even when you're standing on the beach in Hawaii, mm-hmm. are so vivid. Uh, and then I kept saying to myself, "Was is this so vivid because... I got sober there, too, and I thought, no, of course not. I've read other books and had to put them down. They're too hard to read. Right, right. Which is not the case with this. So uh, uh, anyway, so, okay, so you had this friend who was a writer, and um, he told you that, and then what happened? Well, then I just started reading books on it. I started, you know, just doing it over and over, and uh, I, I did have one thing where I got a connection to send my whole manuscript to a woman who was a freelance editor, but she was also an editor for Hay House. And so for a very low, minimal fee, she went through my whole manuscript. Did not, we're not talking line editing where you're putting commas and periods in. And She just said, description, take this out, describe more. She just marked up my whole manuscript by hand and sent it back, and I started rewriting. I rewrote the whole book. And what I learned is that when you're a photographer, you've got your camera to capture your message. When you're an artist, you have your paintbrush to cap, you know, to let people see what you're talking about. When you're writing, you only have your word. You right. see, you've only got your words, and they have to become a camera. They have to become a paintbrush. And mm-hmm. I just started learning that, and it. And it just and I still don't know where periods go and commas and all that. I have to send, yeah. Anytime I send a blog out, I have to send it to my editor first before it goes on the web page because, you know, I mean, if anybody sees my Facebook post, that that are you know small little posts, they're still like in ten words. There's probably ten mistakes, maybe I don't know. But I just I just have the inspiration come out and somebody else puts the commas in for me. Well, I think, and so that is a really big connection to Hay House. I mean, Louise Hay is, her story is, you know, such an amazing story, too. Uh, for somebody like that, uh, really was quite a, you know, God shot for you. Yeah, you this lady was very nice to do this and, and very uh, reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was very grateful for that. It really turned my whole process around. And then I had you know, good friends that helped with editing and and didn't charge me and just, uh, you know, it was just great. I just, I had a lot of support doing the book, so, uh, and and the subject matter was easy. It was me. 
Right, right. And it's very funny. Um, the thing that I, uh, when I talk to other people, you know, around the country that know you or knew you back then, maybe in the 70s, when I got sober, um, it was so much of your, like, personality came through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the way you make fun of yourself, the airy-fairy thing. You know, I can remember you just, you just really put yourself out there when you went through things, uh-huh. you threw yourself out. You know, and you were willing to just show your feelings and have your emotions. Like you were really kind of a, and you were a man. You were just, you were, <laughs> yes, you were uh-huh. husky, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Of the stuff, you know, uh, and your your uh, commitment and to and your discipline to growing spiritually. How you just never stopped with. I think sometimes you were too hard on yourself, but. Maybe we talk a little about your meditation because this is full of when did you first begin to meditate? Well, uh, I'm pretty lucky. I mean, for one of the, the reason the dedication I think is there is because when I came into the program, I had nothing going. Okay, so I was a product. You know, I'm 67 years old. So 1960, uh, when 1960 happened, I was what 16 then. Uh, was that is that right? Yeah, I was born in '44, um, oh, so I was just prime. I was prime, okay. And, right. Uh, and and of course, in, there's not much when I tell when I talk at a convention or something. I I I just basically say, yeah, I use drugs. You know, I don't go into a big thing about using. And I think it's really only in the first chapter of the book that I kind of lay out where I came from, but I did come from the 60s, and I'll tell you what, I picked up a book by Paramahansa Yogananda called The Autobiography of a Yogi in 1966. Now, I have talked to so many people over the years that that was one of the first books that really began an awakening in them. So that that book has served its purpose for sure. So I started reading about this meditation stuff and something just, and of course what what was going on with that was handfuls of LSD and Tim Leary saying turn on, (laughs) tune in and drop out. So I just went, yes, yes, you know, and and, and I would just take handfuls of LSD and and, and try to do the, and and I would see the light, you know, they were talking about the light and in meditation, right. well, on that high doses, I saw the light all right, but <laughs> I always came down. So, but something right. inside, something inside was so intrigued that there was something that this something told me that meditation was what it was about. But they just, I didn't know how to stop using. Right. You see, right. I just didn't know how to stop using, and uh, and it was funny because in the lessons. Uh, I even took lessons from SRF, you know, to teach you how to meditate. And, mm-hmm. they, and this was 60, and they would come in the mail. And at one point, I was living on the Venice Canals, and it was in my methadrine days. And, and my lessons would come in the mail, and I would go cook up a spoon and, and, and just shoot some pure methadrine and just my hair would flip out and stand on end and all of a sudden you know i'd sit down trying to meditate well you know i don't think it takes a it's not a a genius to figure out that's not going to work but uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there was certainly a uh still a dedication to try it but in the lessons it said one time when the student is ready the teacher will appear and i think that's a saying that 
everyone's probably heard at one time of their life. Uh, and I always figured, you know, the teacher was going to be me ending up in India somewhere. That was my vision, that I would end up in India and meet a guru because that was so much part of the 60s. There was, you know, transcendental meditation started up a couple right, of years right. after that. And yeah. so there was just all that talk. But, you know, as we know, what happened is the 12-step program moved in next door to me. And, you know, that saying, when, this, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, was that up from Ramdas? No, that well, that, that was in Yogananda's book, so I think oh, it, it happened long. I think maybe Ramdas might. Like I said, I think it's a pretty popular saying, and I don't even know if Yogananda is the one that. You know, it's just it's something that's been around. It's just one of those metaphors that just say when you're ready, the teacher will appear. So I had no idea it was going to be in the shape of a. A lanky woman with gray hair down to her waist and a cigarette in her hand all the time, and right, practicing right. the twelve and, and practicing the twelve steps, uh, which I, I had think, never I, heard I, of. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We're going to get to her. You know, the I was thinking of the Edgar Casey Center. Uh, mm-hmm. What a wild ride to go there and get that aura healing that you guys brought me yes. to in Virginia Peach. And right. Yet, you know, the funny thing was that after that, you know, people, they do all these, the 12 steps, but, you know, you did, and I've done a ton of other things, and that was something I did early on, that after that aura healing, I never, I was like a changed person, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you guys were all doing that sort of thing, sort of alternative spiritual healings, right? Right, yeah. We've been like on that you know, that the edge of that stuff all the time. So, I mean, here I am now. I lay people down in my meditation room, and I put Tibetan bowls, seven Tibetan bowls, uh, uh, lining around their chakras. And here I am, you know, 67 years old and almost 40 years clean. I'm still doing that stuff. So I love it. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) do you want to talk about Fulbert? You were starting to talk about her. Do you want to talk about her? Well, that I think this is maybe what makes the uh, my story a little bit magic and a little bit I mean we all have our own story. You know, I'm 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 I mean some one time when I was writing the book some this guy told me he was a friend of mine, he was doing some editing with me. He says, "You know, Tom, everybody's got a story." And I go, well, "Yeah, groovy. I mean, that's true. I'm writing mine, you know, but uh I mean, I'm not you know, I'm not yeah. disputing the fact everybody's got a story, but and I don't know, but I think that this whole thing with the 60s and this lady Flowbird, uh it, it it's it's kind of magical, you know. It, it, and the, and the thing is that all the readers have to know everything in this book is true. It's not like that addict that wrote a book and got on Oprah and then they found out later most of it wasn't true. This is true stuff. Every miracle that sounds like a miracle, every weird thing, it just all really happened. So what happened, Monica, is I'm living, and this is is why uh, uh, another reason why I was already practicing meditation before she came into my life, but this... Just uh, uh, cemented the deal that this is what we're supposed to do in life. Uh, right. Because great story, I, though. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell this story because it's so. Great. Yeah. So I'm I'm living out the North Shore in 1968, uh, just you know a hopeless dope fiend and and kind of 
you know, going not shooting dope and then just using LSD and hashies for spiritual reasons and really just seeking but miserable, absolutely right. miserable, withdrawn, insecure, uh, less than everybody and, you know, going to these love-ins and sitting around with all these people and just feeling like I don't count, you know. So I'm I'm just sitting there and one day this woman appears and I'm I, I'm a, a house back from the uh, Rocky Point which is the surf spot I'm right on the beach just about this house but there was a four bedroom house right on the beach and uh and it was vacant it was for rent it was furnished and all of a sudden one day this lady appears and she reaches above the door and moves in and 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 the next day and there was kind of a buzz in the neighborhood about it this weird lady that just right. moved into the you know and uh so the real estate guy comes out and to show the house the next day because it's for rent. And he comes up and finds this lady in the house living there. And, and, she, and he says, what are you doing here? And he, she said, God told me to come here. Can you please have the electricity turned on? And so that is and, – and, and the electricity was turned on, and she lived in that house for another six months and she started meeting. She was uh, eight years in recovery at that time herself. It was 1968. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a remarkable story, though, isn't that huh? just it's huh? so bizarre? It's right? very it's bizarre. Really, uh, yeah. Um, and she had had a total spiritual awakening, the kind you read about where the whole, I think uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about Bill Wilson being in his hospital room and and it all turning to light and love. And, you know, he was kind of had, went through a transformation. Well, that's what happened to this woman in 1962, I think, uh, she just went through this complete transformation, and she was never the same. And and she just gave. She had no money, Monica. She gave mm-hmm. it all back. She didn't take any assistance from the state, from her ex-husband, and she just fought, she meditated every day and followed her heart with whatever it said to do. And what happened is this one particular morning. She was living in Kaneohe, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. and I'm on the North Shore. That's about 40 miles, as you know. And early in her meditation in the morning, it said, it just said, you have to go to Sunset Beach right now. And so she got in her car and drove to Sunset Beach, and she goes, what am I? And she was led to this house, and she walked up to it and found the key above the door. And she moved in, and that is how I found the program. Who ever heard of I know, and only in the programs in the 1960s. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't happen now at all. And, you know, the thing that's so odd is also the way that, obviously, I mean, you and I, but the callers and listeners don't know that you were the one who helped me on the beach in Kailua, and you Mm -hmm. moved in to a house that was a stone's throw away from the house that I was in. Right. And, you know, so it was really uh, another, here we are now, for me, you know, going on 35 years later, where I moved into that house and was just dying emotionally and just spiritually, just starving, and I ran into you on the beach. Should we tell Uh, them how that happened? What's that? Should we tell them how that really happened? Oh, yeah, do you want to tell them? Uh, You you don't mind? (laughs) No, I don't mind. 
So I'm this long-haired dude, and I and I don't have a girlfriend, and I'm always looking for my soulmate. But these psychics told me I was going to have a marriage to God, and I'm practicing celibacy, and I'm, you know, so I'm down at the beach, and I look over, and there's just this beautiful woman sunbathing. The only thing is, she doesn't have a top on. No way am I walking over there. I, I can't do it, you know. So. I waited until later she put her top on, and then I walked over, and it was you. And and uh, I don't know how I'm not uh, I didn't I don't know how to pick up girls I, if that's what right. you want to say, you know. Right. So I sat down and told you my story. Right, right. <laughs> I just really told nice. you about my recovery, and that night I think you went to a meeting. And I don't think you've ever been loaded since. Right. It was. I think it was the next day because I came next back. Next day, yeah. For my phone number, and I said, no, if it was meant to be, we'd meet again. Yeah. <laughs> and I came back to the beach the next morning, and you were there with uh, with Tom and, uh, you know, his wife, and then that other guy, that creepy, yeah. stepping guy. <laughs> you had already carried the message, because when you sat down, I had felt so isolated for so many months, and you told me your story, and we talked about, I think, like Herman Hess and Sid Arthur right. and Buddha and, you know, all that stuff, and I was such a seeker, you know, looking for some kind of answer, and that's right, I, I've been, you know, sort of clean and sober. Ever since. Right. right. I, I you got to love that. This, little, it says, this is in your forward. Tom is a kind okay. of spiritual everyman seeking out Mother Teresa and Ram Dass, taking on celibacy and poverty hanging out with Edgar Cayce's library and Yogananda's ashram, like a character in some 18th century picturesque novel, Tom takes us from one illuminating moment to another, guided only by his longing to serve, to grow, and to experience spiritual bliss and connection. And that is so beautiful. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I wanted to say, you know, to read that was the part about celibacy. I think in recovery, especially here in Los Angeles, people have really lost their way about, you know, we don't just stop. There's a lot of other things that need to change. And you had such a commitment to be, like you didn't, uh, you know, I mean, I know that you thought that I was your soulmate, but there was no sense of ever of any, you know, predatory. or I mean, I met you on the beach, first of all. You know what I mean? I didn't mean right. you in the meaning. but. There was such a you were such a kind, good guy, uh, and that and and very dramatic, I might say too. You know what I'm saying? Right. But that is so beautiful. So who this person who wrote that for you? I don't know them. Um, the person who wrote your forward. Right, that's Kevin Griffin. Kevin Griffin wrote this, and he's the he's actually the one that I sent one of my first drafts to. That has mm -hmm. you know that has two books published and and right. uh, told me you know Tom you got and so he was a little hesitant when I sent him the finished book and then he he I just was going to say Kevin if you you know this is later like a year later and I send him right. the finished book and I say you know maybe you would write an excerpt on the back you know just a little statement on the back after I and I after I sent him the book he called me and says Tom I want to write your forward I have way more to say he he just was blown away by the change in the book you know wow so that was very sweet of him yeah but I too saw it I mean you sent me stuff I mean not I thought that it was really that it was good but it did get become so descriptive 
right. uh, like you were saying from that. Um, so I know that you have been to India many, many times, correct? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so what, when did you first go to India the first time? I believe I went to India my first trip in the late 80s. And uh, that was through a total uh, meditation. Uh, the Great Danes are barking outside. I'm going to walk away from the window. Uh, that was through uh, meditation, you know, coming, just getting this strong message that I was supposed to go to Calcutta, India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I came out of my, and it just was, I think, well, I, and, and whenever I've gotten really strong things, it's not, because I practice mindful meditation where you just sit and observe what is and you don't attach to anything. Mm-hmm. You don't put, you know what I mean? You just sit and try to be mindful of your breath going mm-hmm. in, going out, and you just observe your feelings and emotions and thoughts, you know, and you just look at your thoughts and don't hang on to them, just say goodbye to them as they pass mm-hmm. by, and you come back to the breath. Well, what happens in that practice when there's a, a substantial thing that I think you're supposed to hear is it keeps coming back. And what happened in meditation right. that day was mm-hmm. India kept appearing and 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 the big word Calcutta just flashed in front of my eyes and my all my hair stood on end. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, Okay, I got it. So then, that yeah, that's how I what? distinguish yeah. I you have to discern, in other words, because we can sit in meditation and have millions of thoughts. That's right, but that's right. Because I practice meditation ret- too, and I yeah. do think it's like a river eye they call it, where something is repeats itself, it keeps appearing you know so i asked for the guidance like i for myself like what are the top three issues that are in front of me maybe that i I need direction right. you know inner guidance of what to do with about this and what should i do about, and, and i just sit quietly mm-hmm. and it's true like it isn't like some loud voice like overhearing voices but it's that nudge that gentle nudge mm-hmm. or like an right. idea like oh you know and then it keeps and then things start to kind of go with the flow like the river is flowing and oh you know or maybe you keep hearing it like you did with Calcutta or about this book write a book write a book right right yeah yeah so that's um, how I first got to India and it was uh you know it's described rather vividly in the book and uh and uh I've been back many times how many Uh, times Times, I I don't really know how many times I've been there. The last my last trip there was uh, uh, February uh, 2010. I was in yeah just a year, little over a year ago. I'm on a, I'm on a committee that meets. Uh, I the last couple of years, well we met in Calcutta. 2010 this in 2011 I met we were in Bahrain just recently here in Bahrain, you know, doing fellowship development for the 12-step recovery. Wow. Yeah, you were in Bahrain right before or right when? Well, right to... right in the middle of it. Uh, uh, actually, when we left, for, when I left for Bahrain, Cairo was, on, you know, just insane, but nothing yeah. else, you know, Cairo, you know, and when we, uh, within two days after I got to, we didn't think it, they wouldn't have held it, but anyway, yeah, it just broke loose in Bahrain, and we would wake at night and hear gunfire and tanks on the, you know, it was like insane, but it was probably yeah. one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had at the same time. 
What religion uh, are most of the people that you meet? Uh, Muslim there. They're Muslim. So yeah. do they not drink? Uh, right. I mean, uh, yeah, drugs are – yeah, uh, alcohols like Saudi Arabia and some of them uh, – I know Saudi Arabia is completely alcohols outlawed, completely, mm-hmm. but then Bahrain – there's a like a bree like a little bridge connect Bahrain's a little island right off Saudi Arabia, just really close because they have a bridge. Oh, but okay. b- the, the Saudis come to Bahrain to drink, so oh. you can drink. And but drugs are are a huge. Uh, the twelve step programs are growing. You know, I mean, Iran is probably one of the fastest growing community you know p- places in the world right now for the for twelve step recovery. So uh, what kind of drugs are they using there? Heroin. Wow, so there's a lot of poppy seeds. Lots of heroin, easy to get. I mean, it's like it costs nothing. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, I heard stories. You almost get strung out by accident. I mean, it's not, you don't even realize. It's just so cheap and it's everywhere. You know, it's just, you're strung out. It's just, you know, you don't even know what's happening. How big are the meetings there? Uh, well, where I was, they, they were pretty. There was some pretty good sized meetings. Now in Iran, where I haven't been, uh, I've met the Iranians many times. And your uh, Tom Tom M, who was on your station last week, you know, he's been there, and and I've seen pictures of them having a meeting, and it's in a stadium. Right. Yeah. He told me that he went there. He was asked to speak. Yeah, it's a stadium. A big meeting, and it was like a hundred thousand people there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, it's really uh, what are I want to? What are some of the practical benefits that you would say from the time I knew you early on, where you were so frustrated, you wanted to meditate because you wanted to leave your body. You yeah. know, you were sort of you were waiting to see the lights, and you know, you sound really so matured. I know you don't want to hear that. You love to be the priest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really grounded. I know that you have a meditation room. You want to tell us what right. your meditation? Well, room you know, is like? I think you brought up a good point, Monica. Right now, uh, and like I said, there's many techniques of meditation. Okay, and like mm-hmm. I, like I uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, that I practice what we call mindfulness meditation now, and <laughs> it, there's a Buddhist slant to mindfulness. Of course, it's mm-hmm. from the Theravada. I mean, Buddhism is like Christianity in the sense there's just so many different types, you know. And I, I'm, right. I don't consider myself a Buddhist. I'm a recovery dude, and I, mm-hmm. I practice the spiritual life. And, and uh, mindfulness is, is like a vipassana type meditation, which is from the Theravada part of Buddhism. And it's just it, it's it's. And so what's interesting is it's completely the opposite of what I thought meditation was in the early days, like what you just Mm. said, getting out of the body. And I've had out-of-body experiences in meditation and, you know, drug-free in recovery, but the the whole essence of meditation of what I thought it was then was getting out of the body. Now it's about just being right here in the moment, Mm -hmm. 
and 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 experiencing everything that really just everything all my feelings if 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 sadness comes up i don't run from it i just mm-hmm. let it be there i note it if i don't run from it if joy comes in bliss i don't try to hang on to it and i just that's the whole idea of the practice is just to note and be aware of what is arising from within and mm-hmm. it, it like the buddha taught that when we're grasping for something it ca- it can cause suffering and when mm-hmm. we're a, a you know aversion when when we're running from something if we don't like something, try you know it, it causes suffering. So even uh, trying to have a blissful meditation mm-hmm. can cause suffering because yeah, so yeah, you, I, the, the, yeah, you see. I agree so with that. Sit. I think that yeah. I have been I studied transcendental meditation about a year and a half ago, but I've been meditating for a really long time too. With some you know a portion of a break when I had my kids when they were little. I found it really hard, and then I, you know, got back to it. Um, but I'm studying a Shinyuan form of Buddhism, so that adds chanting, which I mm-hmm. really, really like because it gets my brain. Uh, and they say the why the chanting helps, you know, different reasons. What 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 are the benefits of chanting? But I'm still so new that I'm not going to talk here like I know what I'm talking right, about. Right, right. Because I'm still really new. I'm only about eight months studying this form of um, Buddhism. But I do really agree, because of the TM that I took, that there is this freeing up when you learn that it's just notice it, the, the, you know, the thoughts come, and then just you sort of let them go. And I experience, like when I go to yoga at the end, there's this meditation that I sometimes leave euphoric. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm high, naturally high is right. what it is. Like there's a relief, there's sort right. of the pressure of all the thoughts in my head or me being stressed out and... The other thing that I wanted to bring up about you that I think was so special that I remember about you early on that I really have a problem with with AA, not with NA, but what I see in many people is they're all giving all this power away to sponsorship. And when I got into the program, you especially and those around me said to go within. Uh-huh. None of you told me to... Um, go ask a sponsor. I didn't have one, and if you would have told me to get one, I would have run too. And if you would have told me to go to so many meetings in so many days, I would have run. Mm-hmm. Like the approach of the way you all were uh, was so very special in that, especially, and this leads into the book, that the fact that all these years later, you wrote this book, which is about getting to have a relationship with God of what you know, whether it's Buddha or Jesus or uh, whatever your spiritual, or, you know, the great grandfather mm-hmm. for Native Americans, and uh, so why do you think that this was so important to you and always has been? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I do, and. Uh... It's. I think that. Well, you know, my my way is a little different, just because of meeting Flaubert and seeing this living, what can really take place. So, 
I, and, and it's really, and it kind of, okay, so first of all, you said something about sponsors. So I, I do have to add, I do sponsor a lot of guys, but my impression of what a sponsor is is only someone that walks through the steps with you. Mm-hmm. I don't try to save people's relationships. I don't try to be come in between any of that stuff. You know, I suggest go to therapy, do what, you know. I'm right. just here to, like, work the steps with you and, and be share a spiritual path of what has happened to me and what I do. So that's how I look at the sponsorship thing. And, um, but, the you know, just... What this med- what meditation shows us is that you know we can't turn to our wives, to our money, to our sponsor. Nothing of that nature is going to fulfill me. That I know. It always will let me down. I, everything is impermanent, and the minute I attach to it, I'm 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 setting up disappointment because it's not going to last forever that's why this meditation is so important just to touch that place of joy with inside myself right right you, know, you that, have about 19 minutes left and i okay. know you can go on. i'm going to just give the number so we have we are going to take a few calls the show is an hour long so um the call in number is 818-475-9211 818-475-9211. We are talking to Tom Catton, who is the author of The Mindful Addict. This is available on Amazon, which is where I bought my book. It's just such a, a lovely book, an easy read, uh, you know, nice and just the right thinness, you know. So a beautiful book. Um if you had a message, like when you think, okay, I wrote this book, you know, and you have now done some, you've done a little bit of a book tour, right? Where did you go? Yes, to? I have done it. In the beginning, we did a book tour, book signing. What yeah. cities did you go to? I went. I started in San Francisco, went to Los Angeles, where I saw you at Barnes and Noble in Westwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, did some Dharma Center talks. Uh, at Noah Levine's Against the Stream, did a uh, uh, book signing there. Then I went to Las Vegas, and I spoke at a um, uh, uh, continuing education conference for for uh you know master level and psychologists like you know where they come together and they have these conferences that focus on something and they all get continuing education. My wife's a psychologist and you have to continue to go to these. So I was actually one of the keynote speakers there and uh every every other speaker that weekend had initials at the end of their name, you know, PhD, whatever, master's level. Right. P, you know, then there was me. And uh and Did they write books? I, everybody there? Huh? Did they all have a book too? Well, they, uh, my publishing company had books there, and I did sell books there and sign after I talked. But my room was full, and it was very well received. I had everybody sit, took them through a guided meditation at the end. And because really what, what, what we know now is that mindfulness is in the therapeutic and the medical, you know, 
mm-hmm. area now. They're they're using it in therapy. They're using it. Most your HMOs will have a my you know a, a meditation available if you want to learn it. I know Kaiser does. I know mm-hmm. uh, HMSA does over here. In fact, I'm uh, a friend just suggested, and I'm going to be going up to the uh, Life Care Center in Hilo and the Vet Center uh, this week or next week, and just see if I can start a mindful meditation group there. Mm, yeah, it's you a, know, it, it's, a, it, it, really, it's so beneficial for anyone to do. In other words, you meditate. You don't have to be uh, on the spiritual path looking for enlightenment. You maybe you just want to have lower stress in your life. Right, right. And you know, I my husband um, started to do it. I took the the TM the quantum class from a guy who I'm actually going to have George Quant on. Uh, I think it, in about a month. We're trying to schedule a time for him. And he taught me in a group of women, and then I, you know, told uh, Kevin about it, and he started doing it, and I really saw this big shift in him mm-hmm. as he was doing it. And you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I want to ask you because you did tell me that you did actually study. You were like, you studied TM back in the '60s, didn't you? I got initiated in the TM in 1968, uh, and that right. I mean, there was only one. I it was. Maharishi, I think, stopped over in Hawaii. I mean, there was like one teacher. I was mm-hmm. one of the first people, and I went to the very first talk about it. And I mean, I was one of the first people to sign up in 1968 in Hawaii. So, and I met what, I met Flaubert shortly after that. And you have, and you continued forever to do it. Did you ha- ever have a period where you stopped meditating, or did you just always was your thing? I've mo- more or less have always meditated because e- even though those first couple of years from 66, well, then I found the program in 68, but I didn't get clean till 71. But yes, I've pretty much practiced meditation almost every, you know, on a continuous basis, you know. I never miss a day now. I never, ever miss a day of meditation. It's been, you know, a long, long time. One of the things that you said at Barnes & Noble, was that recorded? Was that? I actually I actually have a video of that. Did you put it up on your uh I haven't because it's so long. I don't I I think it's too long to go on my website. It's like an, you know, 45 minutes or something. Or well, I, I don't know. I I should look into. Huh? You should. You know what? So can, this is the part I want you to talk about to tell the audience and people listen because I think this is really powerful. So there's a lot of people who stop drinking and using and they just pray. And they just mm-hmm. pray and they don't meditate for years. Mm-hmm. And you really talked about what is the difference and why? Can you talk about that? So yeah, uh, I think that what I see and 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 what let's put it not not everybody, but I'd say a good percentage of people mm-hmm. in the fellowships mm-hmm. uh, that say they meditate. What that means is they get up in the morning. And maybe when they're using the toilet, they've got their little, you know, there's these little meditation books, 24 hours a day and one day at a time. So when they're using the bathroom, they sit and they, they, well, now wait a minute. I know so many people would call this their meditation. And they read that day's, that day's quote. Or they, they fall out of bed and they say, I get on my knees and I say, God, please keep me clean today. And when I go to bed at night, I go, 
God, thank you for keeping me clean today. And I say, you know, that's beautiful. That's groovy. But that's not meditation. Mm-hmm. You see? And so yeah. what I say, in other words, anybody that's married out there right now uh, or in a relationship of any kind, if you and your mate, if in the morning you got up and you just went, honey, I'm glad you're in my life, and then when you went to bed at night, you go, honey, thanks for being in my life today, and that was it. Yeah. Because basically if that's all you're doing with God, that's so you cannot – you would not be able to form an intimate relationship with your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever. If, if you didn't, if you don't spend time with them, talking to them, and you know, get, spending time and communicating, no intimacy is formed. Prayer, meditation, sitting quietly with your mantra. Your mantra can be a, a word or a chant or your breath. Mm-hmm. I use my breath. That's my mantra. That's I spend that time, and that's how I get to know intimately my divine self. Call it God, call it the universe, whatever. And it, and and I tell people, listen, there's 24 hours in a day. You can take 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Just start with right. 10 minutes in the morning and sit. That's a beginning. Anybody can take 10 minutes out of their their day. So that's how you start to form an intimate relationship with your higher power. I love that. I really love that. As I sat there and I heard that, I really felt that there was a huge shift for me when I began to do it very seriously again in the late 90s. You know, I did it right. early on like I did it like my life depended on it. When I got sober right. in 1975, I thought it was like requirement. Like, you know, you had to sit you know, at the rise of the sun. And <laughs> yeah. And then when the sun went down, and I didn't know it at all what I was doing. Like, I was reading those Alice Bailey books. I did not understand. Right. I mean, I read them, and I was, like, really just trying to do the best I could, But um, which is fine. What I'm learning now in Buddhism is that any attempt is good, you know. Yeah. And there's no judgment. Yeah. But five minutes in the beginning, and now, you know, I can easily do that 15, you know, or 20, more like 15. The other thing I would like to know what you think about this, uh, because when I took TM, and I was really inspired by an actor that was working with my husband when I found out that he did it. He was such a creative guy. I was like, you're kidding. Like, he does TM. And, you know, it just seemed like uh, I really was searching again a couple of years ago for a spiritual teacher. I needed was in a really growing place. Uh Uh-huh. And the teacher that came in taught a lot of people that are in recovery, and he said, you know, they've done, they've spent millions at UCLA in the 70s, like millions. He told us how many, I forget how many. Right. And that so much of the brain is unused, and that we were all perfect, and that even though, you know, uh, even if we were alcoholics or addicts, that, that there was some, it was all of the rest of the brain was perfect. And I just was so open, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that some of the literature, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous said, say, you know, says the stuff that I bought for so many years, and I go, then that's not true. It's just not true right. for me that I am not broken, that, right. um, you know, I, there's so much more of me that is uh, totally okay uh, in the light of God and Buddha, and so I was wondering what you think about that. 
Well, I think it's, I mean, like you've heard me talk today in the whole book, I mean, I think that is what we're here for. I think the 11th step is the the crucial step. I think the first 10 are designed to get us to the 11th step, and I think the 12th step is just a summary of what just happened, having had a spiritual awakening, you know, from practicing step 11. So I think this meditation uh uh deal is 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 our answer I mean, and that's why they're starting to use it in the medical world for stress reduction even or or you know the the spirit because i'll tell you another thing about the 60s was when you were uh aligning yourself with a guru a guru disciple relationship it was quite serious and it felt like i would never be able to reach the enlightened state and and now with this practice of mindfulness i know that every time i can just really be with my breath when i can really leave my meditation cushion and go throughout my day and and practice mindfulness which is like practicing prayer and motion all day that i'm touching definitely touching enlightenment the beginnings of enlightenment. I've had many, you know, experiences that tell me that's true, where I have had tastes of it. So, I mean, enlightenment is just a breath away. I mean, I always talk about, you know, being careful because enlightenment can strike at any moment, you know, and uh, right, and, right. and don't miss your next breath. You, it, it, it might be, it might have everything you've been looking for. So and and we call this a practice, and I want everybody to remember that it, in the spiritual world. And when you read books, they call meditation a practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, We're never going to get it together, right? Right. You're never really. For, uh, yeah, we just keep showing up for practice. What are some of the books that you mentioned? A book that you read that you read that helped you write. What was that book? Oh, uh, I read a, a few books by. Um, my wife just walked in. Hun, who was that lady that writes, writing to the bones? And what was the name? Oh, Natalie Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Natalie Goldberg had a book talking about how to write a memoir and how to describe things. And and then I read some other books, and I saw, you know, in my reading, I started thinking, okay, I see what they're doing. They're talking about this inner dialogue that's going on in their head. You got. You know, you got to bring people in, and you got to use metaphors, and just, and all of a sudden, you know, writing becomes like poetry. So yeah, you know, but it, it, I, it's not easy for me. It takes when I write a blog, I spend a couple of days on a two or three paragraph blog, you know, because I have to keep coming back to it. I get my initial thought down. And then in meditation, sometimes I'll come running out of my meditation room and change something because something just came to me, how to say something different, you see. And, uh, yeah, so it's a whole process. And I use a dictionary with, uh, uh, you know, that gives you the different definitions of certain other words, you know, the thesaurus. How do you say that? Thesaurus. Yeah. I use that, you know, because I think of one way of saying it, I kind of take one of those key words and I look it up and I say, oh, here's another way of saying it, you know. So writing's right. a process, you know. Yeah, but if you I really, really want to, really, you, really love it. We are talking to Tom Catton from Hawaii on the Big Island, and he wrote The Mindful Addict. 
It is such an inspiring story. Uh, you know, we're coming down to about four minutes. If there, there is one message that you would want to say to people who are going to listen to this, this is archived, so if you're not listening live, you can hear it later. Um, Tom has his own blog that he's mm-hmm. it's under just TomCatton.com. What's your blog? Uh, it's under, uh, no, it's actually under the Mindful Addict. Uh, i got to tell you, it, the blog is very, it's the Mindful Addict dot. Mm-hmm. Central Recovery Press dot com. People could find you on Facebook too. You have a public yeah. They Facebook. can find me on Facebook, but the blog again is the Mindful Addict dot Central Recovery Press dot com. Yeah. Yeah. So this is you know it's really been um, such a joy to thank you. You go through the process. Uh, the other thing, too, about the way that you were and the way that you are now is you were always, it seemed like you weren't the only one, myself, many other people, but were you were just so vocal about it, you know, of being of not being happy where you were, you know, of like wanting right. to get out of the body and, you know, things were just, they didn't just flow. I mean, you had a painting business and then that's, it, it, it's a whole other story, but um, that the fact that you got to this place of that every bite, like you were talking about how you fasted, is it the first of the month or something? Is mm-hmm. that and then yeah. you when you eat, you know, just be conscious of like being in your body, being present, really listening. Probably when B is talking to you, you know what I mean. I and, try to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if I don't, she tells me. <laughs> Well, there are two minutes left. Do you want to wrap it up and uh, well, if I, to our listeners? If I was to say anything, it would just be remember it's always about the moment. And I, just real quickly, uh, all there is is the now. So it, that's pretty scientifically and you know proved. And and I and I always like this little thing I say that. Uh, when I'm not present and if I'm like in the future about next Friday or I got to go to the doctor or I'm, you know, whatever drama I have going on, if I start thinking about it, you know, going, projecting to the future, and I call that time traveling, that's actually really time traveling, going to the future. And the reason it's so crazy there is because I'm there all by myself. If you want, if you have a God, if you have a God in your life and you believe in that and you believe God loves you and cares about you, that's true, but it only is in the present moment. Fabulous. When you you project out there and you're you're there all by yourself and you've got to remember all the outcomes that are going through in our heads are all made up. We have no idea really what any outcome. It just... What did I say the other day? I said, maybe the thoughts that are coming into us during meditation are nonfiction, but all the results that I think about from that thought are fiction because I'm not in the moment. They're just, I'm making it all up. Right, right. It was 30 seconds. So I want to thank you, Tom. Okay. Uh, joining me, uh, The Mindful Addict by Tom Catton, a memoir of the awakening. Good night. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Good night. This is Monica on 
Safe Recovery, Blog Talk Radio, where we will bring in people from all walks of life to discuss and explore alternatives. I want to support men and women who have written new thought books on recovery from any addiction, alternative healing, both spiritual and secular, to create our better selves and what we are all about, living happy, clean, sober lives. Again, I'm Monica. This is Safe Recovery on Blog Talk Radio. Good night. See you next week.